Good evening and welcome again to our worship service. I know we have a lot of our young folks and I assume parents that are at Sardis tonight, at least that's my understanding. And looking out, it reminds me, I think back to when the tornado came through in June of 2009. We had about 70 people that met under the awning outside. So we have just a few tonight, but we're glad that you're here. And we appreciate Ben reading our scripture today. And we're going to be looking at Titus, the passage that was read a moment ago in chapter 2. We want to really emphasize the latter part of verse 10 down through verse 14. And tonight in our study, we're going to be talking about adorning the doctrine of God. The word adorn means to, well, it really carries with it the idea of an ornament. And what Paul is saying is that we ought to beautify our lives by the gospel. In other words, we are a reflection of what we read in scripture. There's a lot of emphasis in our world on the outward man. And many people accentuate the outward man as opposed to the inner man. And yet God places a great premium on that inward man. In 1 Peter chapter 3, you recall, Peter talks about a Christian woman who is married to an unbeliever. And he said that, in effect, the way we win that unbelieving mate to Christ is by living a godly life. He talks about how they may behold your chaste behavior coupled with fear. And then he talks about the apparel of the woman, that is, the godly woman. And in that context, he says what's really important is not so much the plaiting of the hair, the wearing of gold, or the putting on of apparel, but rather that inward person, that inward state that typifies godliness. And so, as we think about living the Christian life, what we want to do is be the right kind of example. So we're going to talk about that in just a moment or two. I do want to make mention of something before we move on tonight. I know that summertime is coming on, and we'll have a lot of folks that are coming and going. But we will have uh, VBS sometime this summer. I think it's already been scheduled. And there is a sign-up list in the foyer, and... I know that those who are making plans for VBS, there's a great need for workers. And so I want to encourage you, if you're not participating, consider participating because we need your help and we want to do everything that we can to make it a great success. So tonight we're going to be looking at Titus chapter 2 as we think about adorning the doctrine of Christ. I want to begin by talking about how we can adorn the doctrine of Christ by our ways. Listen, if you would, to what Paul says, beginning in the latter part of verse 10. That they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. I want to begin as we talk about adorning the doctrine of God by our ways. 
by saying that the Christian religion is an interesting religion because it mandates teaching. We have to teach people to become Christians. And then once we teach them the gospel, we have to ground them in the faith. And then our goal, of course, is to grow them in the faith. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, Jesus said, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus appealed to the prophets. And he said, it is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and learned of the Father cometh unto me. So we have to teach people. And in this context, Paul is talking about adorning the doctrine of God in our lives. Well, in order for us to carry that out, we have to be taught, don't we? We talk about teaching people the gospel, evangelism, and then teaching people so that they might be built up in the faith, so that they might be what they ought to be. And so in verse 11, Paul said, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And notice if you would, verse 12, he said, teaching us. In the Old Testament, as well as in the New Testament, wherever the grace of God goes, it is always backed up by teaching. A good example would be Genesis chapter 6. The Bible says that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God had looked upon the human family during the days of Noah. And the Bible says that every imagination of the thought of man's heart was only corrupt or only evil continually. So God decreed that he would destroy the world by means of a flood. And so down in verse 14, God said to Noah, build an ark out of gopher wood. Verse 22 of chapter 6 says, thus did Noah according to all that God commanded him. So did he. He became a recipient of God's matchless grace. So here Paul is saying that God's grace has appeared to all men. In light of that grace, we are taught. There are things in the Christian life that must be rejected, and then there are those characteristics that must be reflected. Listen to what he says again. Denying ungodliness and worldly lust. The word ungodliness here carries with it the idea of irreligion. And there are people in our world today that are irreligious. There are a lot of people in our world today that will tell you they do not believe in God. They are, by all practical purposes, an atheist. Well, Paul said, as a child of God, as we adorn the doctrine of God, we have to deny ungodliness and then worldly lust. The world is a very strong force. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, that Satan is the god of this age. And so the devil's doing everything that he can to influence us to live according to the precepts of the world. Now Paul in Romans chapter 12 
says that one of the real challenges that we face as children of God is not allowing ourselves to be conformed unto the world. In James chapter 4, verse 4, James said, You adulteresses, know you not that friendship with the world is enmity with God. And the idea is that if we hook our wagon to the world, that we set ourselves at variance with Almighty God. And then John, in 1 John chapter 2, talks about the strong appeal of the world and how the devil uses the world to entice, to bait those of us that belong to the family of God. And so he said, love not the world, neither the things which are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And he said, the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of the Father abideth forever. Those who align themselves with the world have literally hooked themselves to a system destined to fail. And so we talk about worldly lust, that which is forbidden. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 identifies those of us that live here on planet earth as pilgrims, sojourners, strangers. And he said we are to abstain from fleshly lust. And why is that? Because he said they war against the soul. We're in a battle. The battle is for our eternal soul. That's why Paul would say in 1 Timothy chapter 6, fight the good fight of faith. That's why he would tell Timothy to wage a good warfare. The devil has marshaled his forces and his intent is to circumvent our faith, to destroy our faith, to make us look like a hypocrite in the eyes of the world. And so we are to deny some things, we are to reject some things, but then we're also to reflect certain characteristics. Paul said we ought to live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. I think about our Christian duty. There is the duty that we have to self, our duty to God, our duty to our neighbor. The word soberly here simply means self-control. Some translations say temperance. It is a fruit of the Spirit, according to Paul, in Galatians chapter 5 at about verse 23. Why is it we need to exercise self-control? Because the devil has paraded the world before our eyes. The devil uses the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life to appeal to us. And so we have to have a sense of self-control to say no. Do you remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4? Neither give place to the devil. And the idea is don't let him get a foothold in your lives. So we live soberly, righteously, right living. There ought to be a premium in our society today on righteousness. Do you remember what Solomon said in Proverbs chapter 14, verse 34? Righteousness exalteth a nation, but he said sin is a reproach unto any people. What our world needs today is righteousness. The world needs to see those of us that belong to the body of Christ engaged in right conduct, in doing the right thing. 
And then we're to live godly. I think about how we are to be godlike in our behavior. When Paul wrote to the church at Corinth, he said, be followers of me inasmuch as I am a follower or imitator of Christ. Paul was telling the church at Corinth, look, you imitate my behavior insofar as I imitate the behavior of Jesus. Is it not the case that we want to be Christ-like? We want people to look at us and see Jesus living in us? What was it Paul said in Galatians chapter 2? Christ liveth in me. That's the goal. So how do we take these characteristics and implement them into our lives, into our hearts? Well, think about what Paul said in Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Paul here is advocating allowing the word of God to find a home in our heart. When God's word finds a home in our heart, you know what's going to happen? It will be reflected in how we live, in how we act. And so, in verses 11 and 12, Paul says, as a child of God, you can adorn the doctrine of God in your ways. There are certain things you need to reject, and then there are certain things you need to reflect. But then there's a second thing I want you to see in our study tonight. And that is how we can adorn the doctrine of God by our works. That is, by the things that we do for the cause of Christ. In verse 7 of chapter 2, Paul said that we are to show ourselves as a pattern of good works. Drop down now and look at verse 14. In verse 13, Paul talks about the second coming of Jesus. He said, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people. Paul here reminding us that God's grace has been lavished upon us as a result of God's bountiful love toward us, he sent his son into the world, didn't he? And Paul said Jesus gave himself for us that he might redeem us, that he might buy us back. And then he calls to mind that very special, intimate relationship that we enjoy with the Lord. We are, as Peter, or rather as Paul said, his own special people. And that's what Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He said, you are an elect race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, whom he has called forth out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so this intimate relationship is spoken of by the Apostle Paul as well as by Peter. In light of the fact that God has saved us from sin, Here's our attitude reflected in the words of Paul in the latter part of verse 14. We are to be zealous for good works. Did you know that as a child of God that we have been saved to serve? It's a privilege. First of all, it's a privilege to be a child of the king, to be a part of God's family. 
It is a privilege to be a part of the church that was born and bred in the mind of Almighty God, that existed in time eternal. It is a privilege to bask in the, in the, the blessings of the blood of Jesus Christ, to know that the blood of Christ washes away every sin. It is a privilege to work in God's kingdom. The reason we work in the kingdom of God is so that we might bring honor and glory to Almighty God. We have been called to work in the kingdom of God. Listen again to what Paul said. We are to be zealous for good works. Do you remember when Jesus talked about his second coming in Matthew chapter 25? And the scene is that of that great and final day in which he comes with all his holy angels and takes a seat on his throne. Before him, Jesus said, will be gathered all nations and he will separate them as the shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. He'll say to those on the right hand, I was hungry and what'd you do? You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was naked and you clothed me. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was sick and in prison and you visited me. And Jesus said on that day, the response will be to his words, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or naked or a stranger or sick and in prison? And Jesus said, inasmuch as you did it unto one of these least of my disciples, you did it unto me. When we serve in the kingdom of God, we're serving the Lord Jesus Christ. In serving the Lord, we are, in effect, doing that which God has asked of us. You see, as members of the church, we are, we are the mouthpiece for Almighty God. We are His feet, His hands. We are His laborers. Paul talks about how we are co-laborers together. And so, if the work of the church is going to be done, it has to be done by us. We're his laborers. Now, there is a challenge to work in the kingdom of God. The challenge is to stay in the harness, to stay busy. I think about the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 20 at verse 6. You remember Jesus asked a question on one occasion, why do you stand here idle all the day? You know, sometimes people need spurring on, don't they? Sometimes people have to be encouraged to keep on keeping on. So here's Paul. He's writing to Titus. And he talks about how as a child of God, we ought to be a pattern. That is, when people see us, they ought to see lives that are filled with good works. We are to be zealous for good works. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. He said, be ready for every good work. The idea is we ought to be sitting on go. We ought to be willing to do what we can to exalt the name of Christ, to carry out his will. Drop down if you would and look at verse 8. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly. 
That those who have believed in God should be careful, listen to him, to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. Now look at verse 14. And let our people, what people? God's people. Let our people learn to maintain good works. You remember what I said a minute ago, how Christianity entails teaching? Paul here is saying, look, we have to teach people to do what? To maintain good works. To meet urgent needs that they may not be unfruitful. There are a lot of ways that we bear fruit in the kingdom of God. The purpose of bearing fruit in God's kingdom is to bring, is to bring glory to God. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 15 verse 8. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So when we engage in good works, we're bearing fruit for Almighty God. Furthermore, God is the one who is glorified. Listen to Jesus in Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So you mean to tell me when I reach out to those who are hungry and thirsty and give them something to eat or drink, I am engaging in good works you're exactly right. When I clothe those who don't have adequate clothing, I'm ministering to the Lord, that's right. When I go out and try to find shelter for somebody who does not have a place to live, I'm doing that in the name of the Lord. I'm ministering to the Lord, that's right. When I go out and visit people, sometimes I visit people for what purpose? To encourage to check on their physical condition, sometimes maybe their spiritual condition. Sometimes our visits are for the purpose of sympathizing and empathizing. You see, Paul said that we are to weep with those that weep, rejoice with those that rejoice. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, Paul would say, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. When you reach out and try to alleviate somebody's burden in life, you're fulfilling the law of Christ. You're engaging in good works. And ultimately, Almighty God is glorified in heaven. So we do these things not for our own personal glory, not for attention to ourselves, but rather we serve, we minister in the name of Christ for God's glory. Everything that we, that we do in life ought to be done with a desire to glorify God. Listen to what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 3 verse 21. He said, unto him be glory in the church by Jesus Christ. As a member of the church, I have the opportunity to adorn the doctrine of God by the works of that I engage in. You see, I've been saved to serve. It's a privilege to serve. The Bible says that God is not unrighteous to forget our work and labor of love. When you really love the Lord and you love his cause, you want to be involved. 
You want to do what you can to exalt Christ and his church, not just in the community, but in the world. We need people. We need people that will dedicate themselves to adorning the doctrine of Almighty God. So we adorn his doctrine in our ways and by our works. I want to close tonight by asking this question. How are you going to be remembered one day? Will you be remembered as somebody who lived a godly life in Christ Jesus? When people think back over your life, years from now, will they think of you as somebody that day in and day out walked in the footsteps of Jesus? I made mention the other day in one of our classes, actually in a couple of our classes, about the reputation that, well, all of us, whether we like it or not, we are developing or we have developed a reputation. Once we're gone from this life, we leave behind a legacy. And so I mentioned Barnabas. Because in the 11th chapter of the book of Acts, the Bible talks about Barnabas. And the Bible says that Barnabas was a good man. To me, that says everything about a child of God. When, when you say he was a good man or she was a good woman, to me, that says he or she was a Christian person. They were trying to follow in the footsteps of Christ. Barnabas was a man full of faith, known for his encouragement, did a lot of great things in his life. So how are you going to be remembered? Hopefully and prayerfully, as somebody who adorned the doctrine of God in life. Maybe you're here tonight, you're not a Christian. I want to encourage you to come to Christ. We preach, we teach, we plead, we persuade. We do everything that we can to encourage people to come to Christ. It's a great opportunity to encourage people. I'm thankful for the opportunity that I have to encourage people to follow the Lord. But the bottom line is, it's an individual decision as to whether or not you will follow the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here tonight and you believe Jesus to be the Son of God, why not obey the gospel if you haven't done so? Why not do what they did nearly 2,000 years ago when Peter, when Peter stood before that great multitude of people in Jerusalem and told those people to repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. I promise you this, if you'll do what they did, you'll become what they were, which is simply a New Testament Christian. God will put you in his body, in his church, Acts 2.47. If you'll live for him day in, day out, be faithful, the promise is the crown of life. Maybe you're here tonight, your life's not what it ought to be. Could we pray with you and for you? 
No, the Bible says that we have the opportunity to pray for one another. James said, confess your faults one to another. Pray one for another. Could we pray with you tonight as we stand and sing?